Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 314. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we're honored to have with us the nationally acclaimed and award-winning author of A Reason to Run, Mike Magluillo. Barney, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for everything you do for Vermont authors. We reached out, I think it was a, a couple months ago when you kind of nailed down your launch date, which as of this recording was two days ago, your your book, A Reason to Run, has been launched, correct? That's right. On um, 10-10, October 10th. The, the premise of a book is about someone that experiences kind of a, a life tragedy and then is able to kind of overcome that? Yeah, the book in a nutshell is a a fictional coming-of-age story set in the 1980s about a teenage boy, his bike, a devastating accident, and the healing power of running. So it's a book about tragedy, recovery, and hope. So talk to us about the, the inspiration, where the inspiration of this book came from. The inspiration for writing really goes back to uh, when I was a kid. Uh, in seventh grade, I read The Outsiders by S.C. Hinton and thought to myself, man, you know, one day I want to write a book. Uh, the idea of uh, being able to capture life in words um, just kind of gave me a sense of control at a crazy you know, point in anybody's life, that being middle school. And, um, you know, a whole lot of years passed, uh, and I'm happy to answer any questions about those years in between, but uh, a whole lot of years passed. And then uh, along came the summer of 2020, and we're all locked down and summer activities are canceled. And uh, I was on my front porch taking Zoom calls with clients and spent the summer watching my two young boys beating the tar out of each other on the front (laughs) yard and thought to myself, you know, I'm going to write those guys a letter, a letter about growing up. And uh, the letter snowballed ultimately into a novel when later that year I decided uh, I wanted to, uh, you know, really um, act on that that dream I had as a, a middle school kid and write a book and um, did not want to go back to traveling for work three, four days a week. And um, that led to uh, really the the book becoming um, more fictional the more and more I wrote it. But uh, I think the the words became more on. Right. So why have it take place in the 80s instead of making it, say, take place in a book in the 2020s? Yeah, uh, great question. You know, I uh, graduated high school in 1989. Uh, The book's about a 17-year-old main character. And, um, you know, going into writing this, uh, not having been a lifelong writer, uh, I started writing about a setting and a, a time that was familiar to me. And so uh, I knew I wasn't going to be comfortable writing a, a modern-day teenage story. Um, so writing about the 80s kind of simplified things. You know, it was a different stage of technology uh, and uh, and uh, a world, a setting that uh, I had firsthand experience uh, as a teenager living through. 
So was this important to write this book for you or is this book important that you wrote for a younger generation? Yeah, uh, I started writing it for my boys. I figured they're, when I started writing, they were seven and nine years old. Uh, and I figured I, I wanted to write something to them, a future version of them, like when they were teenagers. And, um, and as I got into it, uh, as I think a lot of writers I've spoken to will uh, agree, you know, there's a, a, a therapeutic element to writing a story and, and any book you write, probably more so your first book than any other book uh, you're going to write. Um, there is a, a part of you and your life that goes into it, even if it is fictionalized. And um, it very much became a book. Uh, well, the story became a story I had to tell um, because it helped me revisit a lot of um, memories and emotions and thoughts in my life, but in a highly fictionalized storyline. So was it fun to write about the 80s? I mean, there's that sense of nostalgia for you looking back on it because you were in firmly in high school during the yeah. 80s. Yeah, no, it was, it was fun. It was uh, cathartic. Uh, it was nostalgic. Um, it, uh, you know, the book also takes place in a fictionalized version of my hometown of LaGrange, Illinois. Uh, I call it Linden Grove in the book. And so uh, there's a lot of places in the book, a lot of characters in the book that are, the places are inspired by real life places I grew up around. And a lot of the characters are mashups of people I knew at different points in my life, not necessarily when I was a teenager. So what did you learn about yourself after writing this book? Yeah, um, great question. Um, I think what I learned is, you know, one of the themes in the book is the idea of to stop chasing what the people around you value. Mm -hmm and to go find something to pursue that's all your own. And I wish I could say I figured that out when I was 17 years old, like my main character. Um, it took me a lot longer, um, like it takes most people. Um, but it, the act of writing the book, you know, was a little bit of that, um, you know, go pursue this dream you've had since you were a kid. And for various reasons, you kept putting off uh, you know, until you were 50 years old, um, that being, you know, writing a novel someday. Um, and, and so that was, you know, one of the, the biggest lessons I discovered about myself is just that, that idea of, you know, living um, according to something that gets you excited, mm. not something you see exciting people around you. And so is the audience for this, is this some, is it the audience for this then the readership for people in that, that grew up in the eighties or is this, as you mentioned, you wrote it for your, your kids, but is this a book that's actually geared towards a young adult audience? Yeah, I think it's a crossover. I think it's uh, definitely going to resonate with adults, particularly, you know, adults maybe 45 years and older who will, uh, you know, have lived through uh, or, um, 
have close contact to the 80s. Um, but then also, I think uh, young readers, uh, call it ninth grade and above, will relate to the subject matter. I think in particular, um, <clears throat> young athletes, uh, that I, th I hope is really uh, an audience that takes something away uh, from this book, because it, uh, as the title suggests, um, it is a book about a, a teenage runner and um, I do go into some detail uh, and some depth about the, the experience of a distance runner. And, um, and I think anybody who has um, spent some time with endurance sports in general, running specifically, they'll recognize some of the, the emotions and the feelings, the sensations and the challenges of, uh, of that kind of a sport. Talk to us a little bit also on the character Sam or Bags, as you these called as well. The protagonist, did you have an idea, as you mentioned, did you have an idea of a protagonist first, or did you have an idea of a message you wanted to portray first? How did the whole idea of the, the formation of the book come, come about? Yeah. Um, over the years, I had played around with different ideas of a main character. Um, for a novel that I didn't necessarily know what the storyline was going to be. And um, I always had in mind, you know, a teenage boy, um, you know, kind of an underdog sort, um, you know, smart and I should say, you know, good, you know, good grades, good at school um, and, and ambitious, but you know, a healthy dose of confusion about kind of where he fit in the world. And um, I had to have something happen to this kid to make his life change. And, uh, and so the way I uh, thought about that was to have a, a, a tragic accident occur in this kid's life. And, you know, the, the theme of the story comes out uh, through his recovery from an accident. Um, on, on that regard, I, I, I quickly figured out, you know, the profile of the main character and the tragic accident as the inciting incident, um, because I, there again, I was able to draw upon a life experience um, when, I was, uh, when I was 12 years old, so in eighth grade, and had a uh, three weeks stay in the hospital, including uh, receiving my last rights um, for a, 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 an accident that wasn't nearly as exciting as getting hit by a car on your bike. In my case, it was an appendix that exploded in my belly. Yeah. Um, but uh, I had a little bit of perspective of what happens to you, you know, when you undergo something like that physically, but more importantly, what happens to you socially and emotionally when you are thrown back into the world, uh, having been, you know, gone from it for what seems like a lifetime when you're, in my case, 12 years old, in my, my character's case, 17 years old. Right. Once readers read it, you don't own the book anymore, meaning you don't own. Have you been surprised by how people read and understand or interpret the book at all? You know, based on early feedback I've received, I'd say I've been su pleasantly surprised that people 
that don't come from kind of a running background really enjoyed the running scenes. You know, it, um, you know, I've heard things like, you know, cinematic and, and engaging, um, and, you know, people were surprised that they would enjoy the running scenes as much as they did. So that, that surprised me. Um, cause I did think that the book would be a little bit more, the, the call it the, the, the addressable reader base would be more tied to sports, but um, the feedback I've gotten is that's not the case. People, people sympathize with my main character. They identify points in their life, including their, their teen years, um, where they experience some of the similar insecurities and fears and um, doubts that my main character experienced. Um, so that, that's been surprising to hear from, a, a more of a general audience. Did bags go in the direction as you're writing it in a direction that you yourself wouldn't have gone into, or is it pretty much a, his, his personality is very much like yours when you were his age? Um, no, I think he's, he's different. I mean, he's truly fictional. Right. Um, and, uh, and um, I've, uh, you know, as a fictional story, I've exaggerated certain elements of, of his personality to make it engaging fiction. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I, on the most obvious surface level, I didn't have nearly the talent for running that, uh, that he discovers in physical therapy after his accident. So that is completely, you know, fictional storyline, but, uh, one that, um, that, you know, suits his, his personality. Well, this, how long did it take you to write the book? You said, was it a couple of years that you said? Yeah. So I started in the summer of 2020 and it was fall of 2022 that I had it substantially complete. Uh, and then, um, yeah, it was this time a year ago, I, started thinking about how I was going to go about and, and get it published. So it was a good two and a half years of, of writing and revising. And then from January of this year, you know, it was more really polishing copy, copy editing and proofreading and mm. really polishing it. So, cause you got it published through Rootstock. So how were you able to find Rootstock? Well, um, I approached the whole publishing question, um, I guess, like if you were going to hire a contractor to build a house, I, you know, I researched a bunch of different, uh, you know, hybrid publishers. I chose that as the route I wanted to go, you know, narrowed uh, a universe of dozens um, to, uh, to about 10 and was fortunate to have uh, a few respond back with interest in, in working together and, you know, went through an interview process and um, spoke to all of them and really just found uh, Samantha at uh, Rootstock to be the most thoughtful about my book, uh, the most thoughtful about how she thought we should position it and, um, and uh, the added benefit was that Rootstock's here in Vermont, like us. Mm. And I thought that would um, be helpful 
in uh, working with book sellers and book uh, industry people in the local market here. Right. Authors always talk about how important an editor is. Now, how how different is the the finished product as compared to the first draft that you submitted? <laughs> well, first draft, you talking about the first draft I wrote? Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, the first draft was probably draft 0 0.5. I sent it, my, my cousin um, is, uh, you know, has been a writer her whole life and um, has an MFA and, you know, writing as a, a profession. And so I, I remember texting her after not telling anybody other than my wife and my boys, I was writing a book and I said, hey, you know, I've been noodling on this book idea. I've written a first draft, um, you know, what do I do with it? And uh, she had some great suggestions. The first suggestion was get some professional help. And, uh, and so I did, one of, one of her friends who is a, a book coach um, gave me a, a structural edit, you know, a substantive edit of the first draft. Um, that woman was, uh, Candace Coakley, who's based uh, outside of Boston and, uh, who I thank in the back of the book. Um, but, uh, she really helped turn, you know, draft 0 0.5 in a, a good first and then second draft. Okay. Uh, and it was that draft that I ran with, with, uh, a few beta readers and then probably the, the best stroke of luck or, coincidence is um, I discovered the Burlington Writers Workshop uh, when I had gone after the beta read phase and they have a fiction book length workshop, um, which is a critique writing group. And uh, they, uh, they invited me in um, to a group of 12 that reviewed, you know, segments of everybody's book. And over the course of a year, uh, managed to get critique uh, back from them. And that was hugely valuable in, you know, turning the draft, what was probably a, well, post beta reader draft into something that I was comfortable sending out to pub publishers late last year. Mm. Oh, and so was there any parts of it in, in during that editing process where there was a spot in the book and the story like, I love this part, but other, the editors like, you got to cut this out, Mike. It's, you had some parts that you loved that. Just yeah. So if you go back to like the first draft, the, the draft I sent out to beta readers had a scene at the end. So this is high school kids. Um, and one of the, you know, scenes towards the end was uh, a party after prom night, senior year. And I had drafted what someone termed a sensational high school party on uh, a boat on a river with, you know, a hot tub and people dancing and, you know, booze flowing out of everywhere. And it was just over the top. Um, and uh, I, I had so much fun writing it, um, you know, and the, the main character and his buddies organizing the party and the, the drinks and so forth. 
And, uh, you know, a couple of my beta readers were like, you know, I'm not sure where this scene fits, but uh, it was a lot of fun to read. Um, and so that saved me 10 pages to just cut that and uh, rework the uh, lead up to the uh, climactic uh, scene at the end. What advice would you give people that are looking about trying to write their first novel, but they're saying, you know, Mike, I don't have the time. I have this great story I've been working on. I've been noodling on it. What, what advice would you give folks that are wanting to get their first book written? <laughs> don't think about the book. Don't huh. think about, think about, you know, the next 200 words you can write and just bang, bang away at it. You know, one, uh, one, one chapter at a time, one page at a time. Um, you know, uh, if you think about how much, you know, you could do on a daily basis, if you could carve out an hour a day, um, you know, and you did that, you know, even 300 days a year, um, you can, you can bang out a whole lot of words to get to that crummy first draft. And then you've got something real to work with. And so how do you sit down and write? What was your writing? So did you write in the mornings, afternoons? How did you, what was your, how, what was yeah, your Yeah, what worked best for me, I, I wake up in the middle of the night with, and, and I can't fall back to sleep, and I've got a creative idea. That's when I'm most creative, is in the middle of the night, I will get up, spend an hour, running with some creative idea that's finally come to me that, that fits into the novel. And I'll, I'll write it out longhand. And then, so what I do the next day is I transpose that into typed form, you know, in Word uh, and, and make sense of it because it, it, half the time it doesn't make any sense, but the, the gist of the creativity is there. Then I need, the left brain needs to kick in and I need to actually get it on paper um, so I can edit it or get it on the screen so I can edit it. And then, you know, I, I edit it and polish it, um, during, during the daytime at some point, but it's creativity in the middle of the night. Um, the, the mechanical typing and editing during the day. And, and so the, the process of getting the book form, you said you reached out there, the, you, you connected with Rootstock. How was it working actually getting the book physical? That's there's a structured process and it starts with the cover. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, they yep. uh, Rootstock did a, a nice job collaborating on uh, on that cover design and uh, the font. We spent a lot of time thinking about that font. Um, um but it starts with the cover and then um, it was a copy edit and uh, sensitivity edit. We went straight to an advanced reader copy came out at the beginning of summer and I spent uh, basically the summer months um, pre-marketing the book and Rootstock was helpful in getting it out to different uh, sources of readers and reviews. There was a proofread uh, based on that advanced reader copy, you know, finalized it in, um, in mid-September. How much were you involved in actually, as you said, like the, the design and you mentioned like the font and um, and all that piece How, was that did that take a bit longer and also you have the lines as well like every every chapter heading has the lines that you see on the cover as well yeah rootstock and their designer gets um 
full credit for finding that font and uh, coming up with the racing lines. Mm. And I, I love, I'm really pleased with uh, the chapter headings, which are a number with the racing lines. And then um, the first letter of every chapter, um, you probably can't see it, but the first letter of every chapter has kind of that collegiate or athletic track uh, font of the first letter. So that was, um, that was purely the, the creative work of uh, Rootstock and their team. Um, the, uh, the design, the broad design on the cover, we, we went through a couple of ideas, all kind of in an abstract sense. Um, neither I nor Rootstock was excited about you know, putting a track or putting a runner out there that seemed a little bit overdone and you know, kind of on the nose. Right. Um, but uh, I actually came up with this design because blue and gold are the uh, school colors of my main character. And um, there's a, a scene towards the end of the book where um, a, uh, a running mentor of the main character tells my main character um, to, uh, you know, look out, you know, at the horizon and says, you know, boy, if you could see beyond the horizon, what do you think you'd find out there? And, and so the blue and gold kind of create uh, a horizon image here uh, with the Chicago skyline uh, in outline form because um, the story does take place in the western suburbs of Chicago. So then, Mike, I got I know the book just came out. I know it's only like, as of this recording, two days old. So is there a sequel, like a reason to swim mm. and a reason to climb? <laughs> Are you going to have like a whole? Yeah, <laughs> I could go, go on forever. <laughs> yeah. Been noodling on a second book. I am pretty certain I've got the idea for that. And I'm working on that, but it's not a sequel or a prequel. Okay. Um, but um, yeah, I you know I you could take this book in either direction, like most. Uh, I wanted to switch gears before I come back to Sam Bags and his and his right. family. You got the bug now, Mike. You're you got yeah. your first book published. Yeah. It's that's the that's yeah. the hardest step of getting your first one. But after that, like then the the second and third and fourth yeah. books are going to come out easier. Yeah, well, I we'll see. I the, the I'm uh, I'm working on the second one. It does it doesn't feel nearly as productive because uh, you know when I started a reason to run, I didn't have another book that I was trying to proofread and pre-market and then market. Right. So uh, maybe as the dust settles on this book, uh, I will uh, you know I'll I'll be able to spend some more serious time working on a second. You also. Uh our award winning you won it for a, sh the, a short story that you that you produced and you won an award on that so talk to us a little bit about some of your other short stories and stuff that you've done yeah uh so in between edits of the book i um i discovered flash flash fiction writing as um kind of a a nice break from, you know, the heavy weight of, of working on a novel. And um, it was a great way to just kind of keep the, the writing muscles warm and actually sharpen those muscles because you are focused on a much more manageable, shorter, um, succinct uh, form of writing. 
and uh, I've written about six or seven uh, flash fiction pieces over the past couple of years and um, and have had a lot of fun with it. I've uh, explored um, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of stories. Um, I, I, you know, clearly I've got, got something about, you know, characters trying to, you know, figure out youth and, and coming of age because most of the stories all relate to um, kids and their relationships with their siblings and their parents. Mm. So that, that award that you're referencing on the screen there is a book called uh, The Golden Boy. Right. And um, that uh, is um, a story I entered in a contest uh, with Flash Fiction Magazine this summer. And um, that was, I entered that contest after that story getting rejected probably a dozen times <laughs> over a year and a half. And uh, just uh, me, me thinking this is my favorite story I've written. Um, someone's uh, someone's going to fall in love with it. I just need to keep uh, fine tuning it. So I, I kept hacking away at it and, um, and uh, editors of Flash Fiction liked it. That's right. So Matt, so was this written by, by Mike or is this written by Mad Gorilla then? Oh, uh, well, Mad Gorilla Writes is just the name of my website. Because yeah, so, uh, it was your, uh, it was one of your sons is like you trying to pronounce the last name, right? Is that where Mad Yeah. So from? if you try and pronounce my last name, you get frustrated really quickly. And uh, I spent, you know, well, my entire life, but in particular, you know, my childhood having every teacher, you know, butcher that name. And, uh, my son, Eddie, who's now 11 years old, came home from kindergarten one day and told us a story that he just gave up on his kindergarten teacher mispronouncing his name. And he said, you know what, just call me mad gorilla. <laughs> so he was Eddie mad gorilla. And then mad gorilla has become like our family's inside joke. Right. Uh, you know, anything like if we go to a restaurant, you know, we put in our name, mad gorilla. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I, I call my writing Mad Gorilla Writes. My website's madgorillawrites.com. Perfect. So, so Mike, if people want to learn more about you, where's, where's the best place they could go to? Well, my website's got sort of everything I'm doing writing related. Madgorillawrites.com uh, is the URL. But you can also find me on Instagram at madgorillawrites. Uh, Facebook at Mike Magalillo. You can go to Rootstock Publishing and see your book is on there as well. So, yeah, I I would encourage people who are in Vermont to uh, check out Vermont Bookshop in Middlebury. Um, that's my local independent bookstore. Becky Dayton's the owner. She's been hugely helpful, uh, helping me bring the book uh, out to the the local market and uh, organizing uh, a launch party that's taking place this weekend in, in Middlebury. Um, but if you want to uh, support my local indie, you can go to, to Vermont Bookshop. Um, you can also get a signed copy from me through them. Otherwise, uh, Rootstock or really anywhere um, you like to buy books, uh, you can order my book. Well, Mike, congratulations on the book um, and uh, great talking to you and, you know, very inspirational book. And I, I look forward to having you come back on again when you when you got more coming out, too. Well, that's great, Barney. Really appreciate your time and had a lot of fun talking to you.
Yeah, it's a good thing tonight is swim team night because the boys are out with my wife. Otherwise, you'd hear the Lego battles uh, in the background. 